Hi, this is Ben. And this is Zoe. And you're listening to Story Club, the podcast, recorded live at the Giant Dwarf Theatre in Sydney. This week, David Ma. Five hundred ruined my marriage. <laughs> you might think there were more fundamental problems in play, but I knew then, and I know now, that they were manageable. We could have gone on, despite my being not really made for marriage, but it was the cards that brought us undone. Forgive me, as Sarah says on the 7.30 report, isn't it marvellous the way she says to those Abbott ministers, forgive me, as she... (laughs) Forgive me. For taking tonight's theme so literally. But after a lifetime at Fairfax, I can't come at any subject in any original way. (laughs) While... While they still had money, Fairfax employed skilled teams of sub-editors to beat originality out of us, and they did their work very well. So when I was told on Wednesday that tonight I had to tell a true story on the theme of a house of cards, I knew I had to take the subject head on and tell the truth about the destruction of my marriage, how a union meant for life was brought undone by my wife's passion for 500. Young people today grow up in a world where they expect gay men to pair off, dance once or twice at Mardi Gras, get a dog, and then save for a house on Scotland Island. It seems... (laughs) It seems the natural order of things, but there was a time when being married to a woman was a perfectly respectable way for gay men to live. Their families loved it. The community applauded. Role models were everywhere in those days. They're not too hard to find today. But in history, in Hollywood, and in federal politics. The truth overlooked in these rather impatient times is that ambitious gay men make splendid husbands. They have careers children, rather stocky wives, and, and, and the occasional lifesaver on the side, but, but splendid husbands, and I was determined to be one of them. First, I needed to have sex. Now, like so many young Australian men at that time, I waited till I got to London. And (laughs) what followed was a tale of two suburbs. Notting Hill, first time with a man. Wilsdon Green, first time with a woman. I like to think my own sweet, fumbling affair with Gavin in 1972 is part of the erotic substrata that made Notting Hill a natural setting for the films of Hugh Grant in the 1990s. (laughs) And perhaps I should have stuck with Notting Hill instead of switching to the Jubilee line. Two two changes as it happens, Edgware Road and Baker Street, 
to make a risky appointment up there with fate in Wilsdon Green. Now, I know this sort of audience on a night like this expects grubby detail. I'm <laughs> going to be relatively discreet and merely report that on an unstable night and day in a second floor flat in that plain suburb, I proved I could do it. And, <laughs> and I was terribly pleased with myself. <laughs> and what a high-minded coupling it was. Having done it once or twice and a few times more, I felt, we felt, we must hurry home and take part in building a new Australia under Gough Whitlam. <laughs> I can see now, looking back, that the rickety structure of my marriage was built on patriotism, optimism, blind faith in the Labour Party, and an affection for Jenny, which has survived everything to this day, plus naive masculine pride. I had left Australia a terrified proto-pufta and returned a man. <laughs> we were a couple, and we settled in the bosom of the heterosexual left, Balmain. <laughs> so determined was I that our marriage was going to work that I ignored all the omens. The collapse of the Whitlam government should have been a warning. <laughs> Foolishly, I took it to have only national repercussions. From time to time, I was ambushed by erotic delirium, like the night at the Nimrod when Andrew Sharp kissed Tony Sheldon in Peter Kanar's Hard God. Let me tell you, in 1974, that kiss was quite something. I drank it away. Drink was frankly helpful. If you were scared to go to bed, a few drinks made anything possible, usually sleep. Now, keeping busy seemed to be the key to our marriage. We were both busy, 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 busy. Lots of friends, lots of cooking, and weekends in guest houses in the Blue Mountains. The 70s was the era of chic guest houses in the mountains. <laughs> Great food, icy bedrooms, and a dummy down the hall. We couldn't get enough of the discomfort. <laughs> We were happy. Sex was okay, and the future looked bright, but something began to come between us. My wife had a passion I couldn't share, cards. She wanted to play more and more. She wasn't happy until she'd had a few hands of 500, once or twice a week. When I claimed to be too busy, too tired, not really feeling like it tonight, she insisted I play. I never approached a game with enthusiasm. I never enjoyed picking up the cards, and I never won. I rang Jenny the other day after all this time. I wanted to have something out with her. How come she was so good at the game? Don't you remember, she said a little tartly. They made me repeat them a trick at Brighton Grammar because I was too young for university and I spent most of the second year playing 500. I did remember, I did remember. Once she told me, I did remember. But I put so much detail out of my mind from that time that even thinking about 500 again gives me a slow flush of humiliation. Some failures you just never live down. Do you know the game? It's like bridge with trainer wheels. Um, 
you're dealt a heap of cards and there's all this coded talk back and forth and then somebody starts throwing cards into the middle of the table and then somebody picks them up again and that's called winning a trick. I've, <laughs> I've, I haven't forgotten the essentials but I went out onto the net preparation for tonight because I did feel I needed to research things, I believe in research, and was reminded out on the net about those fiddly rules and that fucking jargon, noes and misere and slams and the one you know, going out backwards. But, <laughs> but what brought me up short to read out there on the net was the heading, Play of the Joker. If there is a Trump suit, the Joker counts as the highest Trump, and so on and so on and so on. Nothing provoked my wife's growing exasperation with me more in those years than my failure to grasp the role of the joker. <laughs> my instinct is always to play my best cards first. I mean, why hold back? Put them out there. Show them what you've got. Win early. Win often. Get it over and done with. The sooner, you, the sooner you've won, the sooner you can go home. <laughs> now, I grasped intellectually that this was wrong, yes, Cards are about hiding and waiting and biding your time and pouncing, but I was a man in the grip of his instincts. It seemed to me, I've learned since, that this is a family thing. My mother was a bridge player. Pam could never resist showing her hand. One of her dearest friends told me shortly after the funeral, we laughed about it for years. She always played her ace too soon. <laughs> That's me. The marriage unraveled fast once we couldn't face each other over the card table. There was never so much drinking, never so much reading in bed. The image I have of those last months is a dark bedroom with two people, two books, and two little pools of light as far apart as possible on a double bed. There was misery everywhere and I was responsible. This was my mistake, my fault, and we broke up. I rediscovered men. I rediscovered the erotic charge of kissing stubble. I found sex, and I found my partner. He's not here. He won't remember this, but I do. One day, early on, he said, let's have a game of cards. <laughs> and I said, I don't play. And thank God he took me at my word. It's our anniversary next Sunday. We've been together 18 years, and I know why. And I mean to keep it that way. For more information about the podcast or the Story Club live shows, head to giantdwarf.com.au. Thanks for listening.